Well, hello. Nice to see you all in January. Sorry about all the kind of microphone issues. It's like when you get your Christmas decorations for the first time out after a year. Like, we haven't used these for about a month, and, like, everything's tangled up in knots, and you're like, how do we put it away? So, anyway, so here we are. Um, I've been very unwell this week. Show of hands, who's been unwell over the last couple of weeks? Mm, yeah, that's most people. I feel like I've had back-to-back -back colds for the last couple of weeks, um, but I have not had a particularly satisfying week. Not good sleep, not good eating, generally a kind of subpar week. Um, hands up, anybody here wants to live that kind of subpar life on a weekly basis? Any takers for that? No, didn't think so. Uh, can I have another show of hands? Anybody who wants to live a rich and fulfilling life? Yes, I could say, uh, a few people are like, nope, like, okay. Um, who wants to get the best out of life? Like, live it to the full. Like, personally, yes, please. I'll put my hand up for that one. So, hopefully, all of us are on the same page. And, and I kind of hope I've got some good news for you today. This, this term, we're going to be exploring the idea of living life to the full, living life in all of its fullness. Um, there, we have this little tradition as a church, which, like, we're five years old, so it's, it's kind of a bit grand to call it a tradition, but we've done it for the last two years. We're doing it again this year. Um, and basically what we do is every year between Christmas and Easter, we take that term to read one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. Um, we um, read... Uh, a couple of chapters every week as a church, and on the Sunday we get together and we unpack the two chapters that we've been reading um, that week. Um, so, in case you didn't know, there are four biographies of Jesus' life in our Bibles. They're right at the very beginning of the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're named after the guys who wrote them. Um, well, that's actually the shorthand. They're actually called the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark. And that word gospel means good news, the good news according to Matthew. And so, basically, what these dudes have done is they've sat down, they've written the life of Jesus out, his life, death, and resurrection. And they're basically trying to compile a case for why they think Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection is good news then and good news now. Um, and I, um, the reason we're doing this again after, you know, we've done it two, twice, we're doing it again, well, partly because there's four, and I'd really like to do all four. That would be nice. Um, but one of the, there's three main reasons why I really, really enjoy doing it. Firstly, it's an opportunity for us to read the Bible in the way that it was designed to be read. I strongly believe that the Bible was designed to be read together in community with other people um, and discussed and picked apart. Like, it's only when you really read it together um, that you truly mine the depths of what this book is trying to communicate to us, I think. So if you've ever tried to read the Bible on your own, that's great. That's fantastic. There's a lot to be gained from that. Um, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible on your own, but really I believe that the Bible comes alive and we really plumb the depths of what God has to say to us when we read it together, which is what we're going to be doing. Um, secondly, it's a chance to let Jesus speak for himself. We have this really bad habit of Christians, and as Christians sometimes, where we kind of the bits from Jesus' life and we like, and we kind of jump over the tricky bits that we don't necessarily like reading. Um, when you read the whole gospel like this, when you read every single thing he says, you can't, you can't miss the tricky bits. Um, so I'll make you a promise. As we read this gospel, as we read this, this term, there will be that you love. 
there may be bits that you hate. There'll be bits that make you a bit squirmy. There'll be bits that you don't understand. There'll be bits that you find difficult or offensive. Um, and that's kind of the point. We're supposed to have an emotional, visceral reaction to the story of Jesus. So if it's kind of offending you a little bit, I think that's kind of the point. Um, and finally, I think it's an opportunity for us to realign our faith um, with the real Jesus and his teaching. Um, I think some of us in the room are still making our minds up about Jesus. Um, and if that's you, you're really welcome here. Um, you are so welcome to join us on the journey as you kind of still figure that out and ask your questions. And please speak up in these gatherings because we want to hear from you. We don't want to just hear the old correct answers. We want to hear everybody's answers about who they think Jesus is as we learn about him. Um, but those of us who have been following Jesus for a, a while, I hope that this experience will be a chance to humbly come back to Jesus and listen to him again and allow him to challenge us in the places where we've maybe drifted away or aligned ourselves to like more of a churchy thing to a Jesus thing. Um, overall, this is a chance for us to meet the real Jesus and to make our minds up about who he is and what we're going to do about it. So, does that sound good? We're going to be reading a gospel together. If you're really keen and you missed the last two, uh, they are available on our, on our podcast, so you can go back and listen to those. And also, every week, there will be uh, somebody on the podcast reading the chapters to you. So if you don't even want to read it, you can just go on the podcast and listen whilst you're doing the washing up or something. So there you go. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So that's the kind of rhythm. It's going to be read two chapters during the week, unpack it on a Sunday, and then some of the home groups will be kind of going into more detail as we go. We're going to take two chapters a week, and this, uh, this term, we're going to be reading the Gospel according to John. Oh, some noises. It's exciting. Um, so this week, I'm going to be starting um, the Gospel according to John, reading the first two uh, chapters. So um, my, my job this afternoon is really to introduce the book to you, to get us thinking about uh, the theme for the term, which the theme, I, I struggled to get this really neat and tidy, so it's just really long. But the theme really is we're going to be talking about life in all its fullness through a relationship with Father God. Life in all of its fullness through a relationship with Father God. And I hope that as we go through the series, that super clunky title will make a whole lot more sense. So the gospel according to John. Anybody ever read it? Let's see some hands. Read bits of it, yeah? Lots of people have kind of dipped in and out, yeah. So we're going to be reading that front to back. Now, the Gospel according to John is an absolute masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece. I don't use that word likely. It, it's unlike any of the other three biographies of Jesus' life. It's different in so many different ways. But one of the main ways it's different is that unlike the other biographies that like, they, kind of, they want to give you an account of someone's life, what John has done, it's like when you read John, it's like walking into a museum. It's like walking into, into this beautifully curated museum. Any museum fans in the room? Yep. People like museums? Oh, some mere faces. I'm excited. Um, I personally love a museum. Favorite museum? Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford. Who's been to Pitt Rivers? Okay, yes. Giant dinosaurs? I mean, hello. What more can you possibly ask for in a, in a museum? So um, I have, like, okay, so my question really is, is tell me about your favorite museum experiences. This is a slightly middle-class question. I want you to gather up with the people who are sitting around you and just, just have a chat. What has your experience of museums been? Good, bad, what's your favorite? What do you love about them? What do you hate about them? I want to hear back from you. Stop laughing at me. I want to hear back from you. So you've just got one minute. Meet some people around you. Gloucester Vineyard, folks, this is your moment to be hospitable. So just have a little chat. Did you go when you were a kid in school? Go for it. 
what more could you possibly want? Who's been to the Gloucester Folk Museum? Who's, who is now planning a visit based on that review? I mean, come on. Sounds good. Anybody else? Ooh, the Imperial War Museum. Yeah. Yeah, what about like the Science Museums and like National Space Museum? That's a pretty good one. Duxford? What happens at Duxford? Air Museum. What's that one down in, the, down in um, New Forest with the cars? Bewley? Bewley. That's a good one. Anyway, that was good, wasn't it? Did that work? It didn't really work, did it? Never mind. Um, anyway, anyway, moving swiftly on. So the best museums, they've got exhibits about different things, haven't they? And each exhibit is curated and designed, and you get to look at things and touch things. And they basically, they're designed to teach you things and pique your curiosity or kind of draw you into the mystery about something. And when we look at the book of John, the gospel according to John, it's like a museum exhibit of the life of Jesus. The book of John, it's, it's put together, it's been like carefully curated uh, as a collection of stories and teachings of Jesus. They're laid out in such a way as to introduce you to this bloke Jesus um, as the reader and to try to convince you as you're walking into this exhibit to convince you of something and try to invite you into something. John has laid out his book very deliberately to convince you of something and invite you into something. He's trying to convince us of who he thinks Jesus is or who Jesus was. You see, John has this theory of who Jesus was and who Jesus is and why we should care. And he's written this book, he's created this exhibit to try and convince us to agree with him. So John, the dude who created this exhibit, he's got a theory about who Jesus was. So let's ask that question. Who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? I want some help. I have a pen. Who's got nice handwriting? You've got nice handwriting. Excellent. So as people shout stuff out, can you write them on the top half of that piece of paper? Don't go, don't go below, below the bottom half. So who was Jesus? Shout some stuff. Son of God and Messiah. Go on, you've got to write both of those things down. We'll be checking your spelling. You know, that is extremely neat. It is Amazing, very good. And, the, and can you write Messiah on there as well? M-E-S-S-I-A-H. Anything else? Who was Jesus? Teacher, yep. Messiah, yeah. So, Ben, we've got teacher as well. A carpenter, very good. You know, I learned recently, apparently, he was more likely to have been a brickie. There you go. A builder, yeah. Well, Absolutely. I'm sure he could have turned his hand to everything, electrics and everything. Um, anybody else? Saviour, good one, yeah, like that, very good. Rabbi, yeah? No, oh, savoir, we know what you mean. You know what, I would have done exactly the same, my spelling is terrible. Anybody else? Good shepherd, that's a good one, I like that, very good. Good shepherd. Keep them coming. The bread of life, whoa. Oh, Claire. Lord, Son of Man, Prince of Peace. God, these are great. Do you guys want to come up and do this? A challenger. Ooh, very good. I like that. Winemaker. Interesting. <laughs> huh? Son of Mary. Yeah, good one. So there's loads of... Hey, ben, you're doing an amazing job. Very good. So this is a great list. Okay, so loads and loads of things that we've just put on the list. Really, really good answers. Um, so where am I on here? So John, he's, um, 
He's going to basically take this whole book to try and lay this, lay this out for us, to try and convince us. Um, but he actually does show his hand at one stage. There is one moment when John just goes, you know what, I've been trying to be really subtle about this, but I'm just going to tell you why I've written this book. And he just comes out and tells us, he says this, um, so the slide should, should come up, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. They're all recorded in the other books. But these ones are written, I've chosen these particular ones, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. There he is, up there. That Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there you go. So John wrote this book because he thinks that Jesus, this Jesus guy, was the Son of God, which is a cool thing, right? The Son of God, that's a pretty cool thing. But frankly, if I'm someone who doesn't believe that God exists, why should I be? Why should I care that God, who I don't really think exists, done? Like, why is that good news? Why should we care that Jesus is the Son of God? And I, I think it has to do with why Jesus came. Because the Son of God had an agenda. He wanted to achieve something, didn't he? That's why it's good news. It's kind of, yes, it's good news that Jesus was the Son of God, if he was. But really, it's why did he come? So, Ben, you're back. So, we've got, so question number two is, why did Jesus come? So, if Jesus is all of those things, yes, Ben, why did Jesus come? Anyone want to shout something at me? To save the world. Great answer, yeah, really good. He was a light to God, yeah, guiding people to God. Very good, I like that very much. To welcome God's kingdom, yeah. So that's kind of what we unpacked last year, talking about justice in the book of Luke. That was great. To act as a role model, yeah, absolutely, brilliant. To fulfill God's promises, very good. I like that very much. Ben is scribbling at the speed of light there. You're doing brilliantly well. Very good. Fulfill God's promises. Anybody else got anything else? To offer himself as a sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Hey? Good. Um, offer himself as a sacrifice. Yep. Anybody got anything else? To reconcile us with our Father. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. That's really good. Uh, so, so reconcile with Father. Come on, you can do that one. <laughs> well done, Ben. You're doing amazingly. Maybe one more. Anybody got one more? Who's sitting on one? Have we got the exhaustive list? To call people to follow him. Yeah, very good. Like that. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. Great. Oh, really, really good. You guys are great. My goodness, why am I bothering doing this? You guys, you guys already know it all. This is good. Um, all, can we give Ben a round of applause for his fantastic scribing? <laughs> ben, you are amazing, and I couldn't have done it without you. Thank you very much. Um, so, all brilliant, fantastic answers. Well done. But you know that in the same way that John does a really nice, neat little kind of spoiler of why he's done what he's done, do you know that Jesus did exactly the same thing in the book of John too? Like Jesus just comes out and says it really nice and neat and concise. He just comes out, lays it out one day, like exactly why he came. And what I find kind of slightly provocative and interesting is that we've just written loads of really correct answers on there, but Jesus' answer wasn't on there. 
that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So should we find out what Jesus' answer was to that question? And then we can have a little mm, lovely conversation about it. So if the, it'll come up on the screen behind me. Jesus said this, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose, why I came, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Hmm. Interesting. So there you have it. In short, so that we might believe in Jesus, so that we might trust in him, we might be convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the important bit, that by believing in Jesus, we might find life in his name, that we find, might, might find life in the name of Jesus, a rich and satisfying life. Jesus, the Son of God, came that we might have life in all its fullness. Who here thinks that Christians should live a rich and satisfying life? Yeah. Yeah, most of us. A couple of people who have done that kind of like, I feel like this is a trap. I'm, I like half raise my hand here just in case. I feel like I'm wandering into a trap. Okay, slightly more provocative question. How many people know Christians live living a rich and satisfying life? Yeah, there's a few reluctant hands. I am being... I know people, Christians, who are living a rich and satisfying life. I hope to be one when I grow up. Um, but it does throw up some interesting... I'm interested to sense the hesitancy in the room. Because when I was writing this, I was like, is this, is this going to work? Or are like, people going to be... I sense there might be a little bit of hesitancy here. So um, it, th this throws up some interesting questions for me. Because Jesus lays it out exactly why he came to give us a rich and satisfying life. But I think that some of us might have a little bit of a check inside of us when we're like, hang on a minute. I'm not 100% sure I can put my hand up for that one. And that, to me, is interesting. Because um, I know some people who um, seem to be living a rich and satisfying life, but who aren't following Jesus. Anybody else? Yeah? I, I also know some people who claim to be following Jesus, but who seem to be really struggling with life, and certainly not living life to the full. Yeah? Am I on my own? Yeah? No? A friend of mine said that he thought the best way to be a Christian was to live life just however you wanted to and then just say yes to Jesus and start following him on your deathbed just before you die. It's like, and then you get to go to heaven, like, win-win. And we're like, we laugh. I wonder how many of us actually think that way as well. I wonder how many of us actually think that actually the real good stuff is happening outside of the church and outside of the faith. That life in all of its fullness doesn't actually, you know, come from Jesus or exist within the church. Am I poking at something here? Okay, what I want you to do is get back in your little groups, and I want you to just kind of kick this around a little bit. Um, and then I'd love to hear back from you if you're, up, if you're up for it. So I want you to gather with the people around you just like you did um, just now, and just answer a couple of questions. Like, um, does following Jesus lead to life in all of its fullness? Go for it. So you've got a couple of minutes, and then I want to hear from you. Go for it. Okay, let's hear from some of you guys. Uh, can you like nominate somebody from your group to come and share because we've had too much of my voice So somebody confident who's an extrovert come and share. There's another microphone here um, <clears throat> Poke someone Other people as well. Come on. Let's all play Go on John It led to more questions for us than answers um, Which we think was probably part of the reason why you posed those questions. Um, we said that it's hard to tell with other people. Um, it's hard to tell. We all put our hands up when you ask, do we know any Christians or other people living a rich and fulfilled life? Um, and we were saying, actually, can we self-diagnose that? Can we, or 
can we look at other people saying you're you're living a rich life you're you're living a fulfilled life or is that person they might be internally very conflicted or sad or whatever and it's just interesting we all put our hands up saying we know people living that maybe without even asking them um and then the word rich we'd love to know the origins um of the word rich does it we use rich very much in money um and kind of does that link at all does that not link um and yeah looking at the original version great questions fantastic thank you very much yeah let's hear from somebody else very, very polite ripple of applause there. Well done, everybody. We said yes, and we talked about how we thought that full life was um, in terms of following Jesus gives you purpose, gives you um, community and belonging. Um, it gives you a self-acceptance and identity. We also had a but, but doesn't guarantee an easy life. And in fact, in some ways it, it brings challenges um, things that to follow Jesus it means those are some challenging things in life. Uh, what else did we talk about? Is that? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, nice, very good. Ripple of applause for Diane. Okay, um, two more, one from over there and one from over there, please. Confident people, this is your moment. The introverts will thank you. Well done, Claire. Um, we thought that living in the fullness of God might actually mean that you have to die to yourself, which is... Um, what are you doing on uh, the 24th of February? Do you want to come and speak? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> um, we just thought that actually uh, the, the, the things that the world teaches around uh, security and how you find your identity and your individualism and all that stuff is actually probably exactly the opposite, that we have to die to ourselves in order to find the fullness of God and it's kind of like the, it's always the opposite way with God so it's always the opposite way to what we naturally think so it's kind of upside down so that's what we thought nice that's good stuff right that's good stuff awesome okay somebody from over there anybody feeling confident enough yes no yes no yeah go on then Embo take the bullet I wasn't part of this little group here but I was over there and we were just um, uh, highlight well it was just highlighted the the kind of seeming um, other side of the coin of like, actually, when, he's, when Jesus also says things like, pick up your cross and follow me. And you're like, is that rich and satisfying? Um, or, or like um, when he, you know, he talks about <laughs> denying yourself, um, but also like he, there are times when Jesus talks about division and um, like hating things in comparison. So that was all kind of bubbling up in our conversation of like, huh, how, like, does this does this tie? How does this tie in with other things that Jesus has said um, in the course of his life as well? So that was interesting. To good us. stuff. Good stuff. Very good. Anybody else at the back? Go on. Anybody want to? Sensing reluctance. Okay. Very good. So marvelous. So really good. Really good thoughts. Thank you for being so honest. Um, now, this term, we are going to be working this audacious claim of Jesus that we find in chapter 10, verse 10, that he came to give us life in all of its fullness, a rich and satisfying life. And, and I'm trying really, really hard today not to unpack this too much, um, because over the next few weeks, we've lined up some really amazing people to come and unpack this for us. Um, we, um, we have Diane coming next week to talk to us about eternal life. 
Because if you've read the book of John before, you'll know that Jesus starts talking about life in all of its fullness, but he also talks about eternal life. And you're like, oh, what does that mean? And we start thinking about tickets to heaven. And spoilers alert, it's so much more than just tickets to heaven. So, and then in February, Ryan is going to come and speak to us on this very theme, talking about life in all of its fullness, asking the question like, is it what the world thinks like life in all of its fullness looks like, or is it something completely different? Spoiler alert, something completely different. Um, but to finish off our time this afternoon, I just want to land on something that I think is essential for us as we're engaging with the book of John and thinking about the theme of life in all of its fullness. Um, and it's found in our chunk for this week. It's found right at the beginning of chapter one. And we're going to read it. We're going to read it because there's a little poem that starts the whole book, and it's really beautiful. So we're going to read it uh, together to finish this afternoon, if that's okay. Um, but before we do, before we read it together, I just want to, I, w- I want us to remember that picture I painted earlier on about this being a museum. I want us to remember, just close our eyes and imagine you're about to walk into an exhibit that John has curated for us, that he's created this, this exhibit of the life of Jesus. Like, Let's get it really cemented in now that John is not trying to write a textbook. He is not trying to give us videotape footage of the life of Jesus. He's trying to pique our interest and our curiosity as we go through. So when we read this, there'll be some bits that will make you go, eh, what? Like, and that's the point. Like, John doesn't mind being a bit cryptic if it gets your attention. Um, so we're going to read this poem together, and I'm going to just pick one thing out of it that I think is important, um, and then we're going to close with a little time of response, if that sounds okay. Um, so could I have a volunteer to read? Somebody want to come and read? Yes, Aaron, that would be great. Yes, please, if you wouldn't mind. Come and join me up here, if I can find it. I'm sure I had it somewhere. Do you want to grab that other microphone, bud? Yeah, grab that yellow one. Ah, here we are. I found it. There you go. So Aaron's going to read, and I'm going to really rudely interrupt him at, at several stages here. Put it, put it right here, or Emily might tell you off. Okay, go for it. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Sorry. Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, we are straight off the bat. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The word was God, and the word, the word was with God. And the word was God. Straight away, you're like, what? The, the word? The, the what? Who is the word? Like, what? Like, let's, let's not pretend that we're all tracking with this. And John knows, like, we're walking into this exhibit. He's trying to grab our attention. Like, imagine walking into a dark room and having those words, in the beginning with the word, was the word, booming out over the speakers. You're meant to go, huh? What's this all about? Anyway, carry on. He existed in the beginning with God. Who existed? He. He. Exactly. Who? He. He. So the word. The word is he. Who? Is the word God? Like, I'm confused. Carry on. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Okay, so are we still talking about the word here? I believe so. I believe so. So we're still talking about the word. The word seems to be a who. Seems to be God in some way. Seems to be both in some way. I'm curious. Carry on. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Okay, so the word, whatever that is, whoever that is, this word brings life and light. Okay, so let's walk a little bit further in. Keep going. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never 
extinguish it. Okay, so I get that bit. Light and darkness, like if I'm walking into this exhibit, I just imagine John being like, cue the lights. And I like the lights, come on. Very exciting. Okay, carry on. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Okay, so the light is coming into the world, and the light is more powerful than the darkness. But also, the light, this light seems to be a who. The light seems to be a person. It seems to be the same person as the word, the one who was present at the beginning and involved in creating the the world. Kind of confusing and curious. Let's read on, because we're just getting to the important bit. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Brilliant. Thank you, Aaron. A lovely, polite round of applause for Aaron. Wonderful. So the word, the word is somehow God. The word is a who, who created the world, who came into the world. He came into the world to bring light into the world, to defeat the darkness. And he was rejected by those he came to save. But those who accepted this light, who followed it, who trusted this word, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, as you read the first couple of chapters of John, you figure out that that John is talking about Jesus here. It's it's kind of super cryptic way to get it started, but that's, like I say, he's trying to get your interest. He's talking about Jesus being this light which comes into the world to bring life. And I want to end today by drawing us towards this final thought. He says, all who believed and trusted in him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God, reborn as children of God. Now, we're going to be kicking around this idea of life in all of its fullness. We're going to be talking really practically about that, what that means in real physical terms. But fundamentally, right at the very core of John's message is this idea that life in all of its fullness is found when we become children of God, when we can call God our Father in heaven. Now, that idea of God being our Father in heaven, that might mean everything to you. That might mean absolutely nothing to you. In a couple of weeks' time, my friend Wes is going to come and talk to us about what it means to be a child of Father God. Don't miss that week. Seriously. Last Sunday in January, my friend Wes is coming to speak. It's going to be amazing. Um, But I learned something really cool this week um, about what it meant to be a father at the kind of time this was written. In, In Roman families around this time that John was writing, they had this really weird practice where parents would often adopt their own children that they felt were the most worthy to inherit from. They're like, just because you were a child in the family doesn't necessarily mean you're going to adopt, uh, um, inherit. Like, imagine like you're a successful Roman business person, but you've got three kids, and they're all a bit spoilt and bratty. Like, so instead, you decide you're going to adopt a fourth kid. So like from outside the family, that kid gets adopted in. So, and that kid's going to be your favorite, and that's going to be the one who's going to inherit. Like, that doesn't sound very fun, does it? Um, but actually, this used to happen... 
This used to happen within families as well, that you'd have like, there'd be three children and the father would decide, well, actually, that second one, that one shows the most promise. I'm going to adopt that one. That one is going to be my son. And so even with biological children, they got adopted as sons. How weird is that? Like proper weird. We don't really have a category for that these days. But that was the context that John was writing into. And when I think we read this passage, I think we need to have that picture in our mind. Because it's talking about adoption into God's family. It's talking about the process of us being given the right to call God our Father. The right to live a rich and satisfying life as part of his family. The right to inherit the family fortune, an everlasting life. And I don't know what you, if you caught that John said that. All who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God, to be adopted. The key I want to, leave, want to leave us with is this, that Jesus knew that God was his father, and he wanted to invite us into a rich and satisfying life in his family, which starts with adoption and acceptance from Father God. Now, that whole idea is big. It might not mean anything to you right now, but my hope and prayer is for all of us, by the end of the term, that will mean a whole lot more. So we're going to spend a bit of time responding now. That's an awful lot for a Sunday afternoon, and we're like, oh man, it's January, what on earth is going on? Welcome to the book of John. It's going to be fun. Um, but we're going to spend a little bit of time responding. What I thought we would do is we would regather in those little groups that we were in just now, and I'd just like to give you an opportunity to share uh, and pray a little bit, to share a little bit about where you're at coming into the new year, where you're at as we're talking about this idea of living life in all of its fullness. Does that seem like a concept that's near to you? or far away from you? Are there things that are really holding you back from that? Are there real barriers? Um, only share if you feel comfortable to, but also it's an opportunity to pray with one another. If there's something coming up in the coming week that actually you're thinking, well, this is a real barrier. I'm like, I'm feeling really ill. I'm really anxious about that. I don't know God as my father. Wherever you're at, or I used to know God as my father, and frankly, I feel like he's a million miles away right now. We're just going to regather in those groups for two or three minutes, and I just want to encourage you to share as personally as you feel comfortable to. Absolutely no pressure. But if you're a member of Gloucester Vineyard Church, this is a moment to be hospitable and to pray with people if they want to. Um, and then what we'll do after that is I'll regather us. Uh, Lauren will lead us in some worship, and we will celebrate communion when the kiddos come back in as well. Um, so... I just want to encourage you to uh, get back into those groups now, and then when we're done, I'll bring it all together and we'll sing. Does that sound good? Go for it.